Are you struggling in your faith? Are you pretending you're happy but stuck in a spiritual rut? Are you tired of listening to famous pastors and preachers who make it sound so easy? Welcome to Broken Catholic, the number one Protestant and Catholic voice in America. I talk about the important things that nobody else is talking about, like how to align with God's plan for your life, because I believe this is where 90% of Christians get stuck. And I tackle the negative self-talk that we all secretly struggle with but won't admit. My guests are brave Protestants and Catholics who share their struggles, their fears, and their daily holy habits that help them win in their spiritual lives. I'm your host, your coach, your friend, Joseph Warren. I'm also a broken Catholic and former atheist and a spiritual coach to Christian business owners and CEOs who are married with children. This show was created for you, the broken Catholic, who's pushing to get your spouse, your kids, and yourself to heaven. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you're just one surrender prayer away. Today, my future guest is Nick D'Amico. Uh, Nick D'Amico is a really cool brother in Christ. Uh, he goes to my church here in Tampa, Florida. Uh, I known him for a little bit. We've been part of small group studies together uh, in the men's groups specifically, and we are striving to be better dads, better husbands, and better men. Um, so, Nick uh, recently in this uh, men's group uh, came up to the front of the room, um, and we had a very controversial uh, theme for that day. And the theme was, uh, "Can Catholics be Democrats?" And that's what today's show is all about. But for all my Protestant listeners out there, um, let's lose that word a little bit, right? Can Christians be Democrats? And I really want to broaden that conversation um, because we really want to uh, be one voice right now in a very secular society. And we are days away um, from election day and casting a vote that can be instrumental, uh, I think, in which direction our country goes next? Do we go um, further away from God in what we stand for and the laws that govern us? Or do we turn back to him, even if it's just a little bit? And I think right now, um, if you're a Christian, there's a part of your heart that says, what the heck is going on in this world? This is not who I am. This is not what I believe. But it feels like just a groundswell that's so big, so powerful that you can't stop it. And sometimes you feel power, powerless in it. Um, like you'll, you can have no impact. So what's the point of even standing up for what you believe in? Uh, and this is what we all have to wrestle with uh, as Christians. Um, I believe it was uh, Mother Teresa who said, and I'm totally chopping up and paraphrasing here um, what she said, but uh, you are one drop in the ocean of God's love. And without you, that the ocean is, is not the same. It's one drop less. So never underestimate your impact. So Nick has courageously, I believe courageously, uh, agreed to come on the show and speak about a very controversial topic um, which is our Christian beliefs um, and the topic of abortion, the A word, the other A word. 
And, you know, where do our Christian beliefs align with that controversial topic and where are they misaligned? When we vote, will we vote uh, in a way that is aligned or misaligned uh, with what we believe in, in our Christian values, what the Bible teaches? So uh, without further ado, um, I really just wanted to set the stage for this conversation today with Nick and uh, just a little bit about Nick. Uh, He's a cradle Catholic. Uh, He says that, you know, it's certainly been a journey. Um, He's never truly fallen away from the church in the sense that for the most part, he's kept up with going to, you know, Sunday mass or service every single week uh, throughout his life. He's had varying degrees of faith, uh, belief in church teaching, and understanding of the the catechism of the church and the sacraments. Uh, It wasn't until very recently, within the past two years to be uh, exact, that he's taken his Christian faith, his Catholic faith, much more seriously. He attributes this to the community uh, at our church, Christ the King, in South Tampa, Florida, uh, where he's really been inspired by the faith of other guys like him, right? The faith of the congregation. And I, I love that you share that, Nick, because I think there is nothing more powerful in this world of so much noise, so much fake news. There's nothing more powerful than authentic Christian living, seeing true people, oh, people living truly um, the faith in their own lives, no matter what the cost. Um, so Nick is from Cleveland, Ohio, uh, currently lives here in Tampa with his wife and baby on the way. Congratulations. Uh, he's an attorney practicing corporate and commercial law, and he's in his third year right out of law school. So Nick, welcome to Broken Catholic. Go ahead and fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you? Sure. Thanks, Joseph. Appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah, no, I think the the intro that you just about nailed it, um, you know, like I said, there's not much more to, to know about me, I don't think. Um, I, I think the, the cradle Catholic point is interesting. You know, I was, I was raised Catholic and it's, you know, it was always sort of, I guess, an assumption, right, or, or a default. And it's only until recently, you know, I think once, when you start to grow up, you get into the real world and you start to, you know, you get confronted with challenging issues. And that's, you know, I think being confronted with those kind of issues is what forced me to ask, you know, do I believe this stuff or not? You know, I've always been raised to believe it. Uh, my parents are, you know, practicing Catholics, great Catholics and everything. So, but I think being challenged by, by the issues that we're going to talk about today are the types of things that drive you to either, you know, like they say, uh, former Catholic is one of the, you know, the fastest growing religions in the world, as you say. And so you either go down that route or you, or you solidify your, your faith. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, like you mentioned, you know, joining Christ the King was such a, you know, strong faith community and the, the, the St. Joseph Society at Christ the King, the men's group there has been, been so inspiring, you know, learning from a lot of men far more versed than me, far smarter than me in, in terms of the catechism and church teaching and all that. So it's just been a great experience. Very cool. So go ahead and share something personal about you that very few people in your business life actually know. Hmm. Wow. Um, well, I, I let's see. You know, it's a tough question, Joseph. People in my business life probably don't know that I'm that devout of a Catholic even, I would imagine. I mean, I've only been at work uh, with this particular firm for two years now. Um, and like I said, I wasn't, you know, even in 
even just in the past two years, wasn't even then until I took my faith this seriously. And so, you know, I've had people, you know, I've gone out to lunches and stuff with colleagues in Lent on a Friday or something. I'll say, I, you know, oh, that's fine. I'm not going to have any meat today or I'll get a salad. They'll be like, oh, you vegetarian? No, no, it's Friday in Lent. I'm just not having meat today. So, so I don't think many people know that about me. I, I keep to myself a bit, um, you know, kind of separate work and life. So I, I'd imagine that would be something that would, that would surprise people. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I think that hits home for a lot of us. Um, just kind of uh, the, the separation of church and state, not just in government, but in our lives. Right. So yeah, it can be intimidating, I, you know, so it, it certainly can. Right. And it has its challenges and test uh, for sure. All right. Let's get into date into the topic today. Can Catholics be Democrats? Uh, first off, Paint us a picture, set the stage. Why did you feel the need um, to really confront this topic yourself personally and then to uh, stand up in front of, a, you know, 100 businessmen um, <laughs> and, and speak from your heart really about the before and after, I think, the before and after of your position or stance on this subject? Sure, sure. So it started, the whole, the whole thing was triggered by this video, uh, Father James Altman. He's a pastor, I believe, at uh, St. James the Lesser. It's a parish in, I think, La Crosse, Wisconsin. Um, and he, he put out a video, and it's titled, you know, Can Catholics Be Democrat? Um, I think it's actually more incendiary than that, even. It's, it's you cannot be Catholic and Democrat. You know, you know much more to the point. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so that challenged me, right? That, that kind of black and white absolute statement. And we had a, a long and fruitful email exchange with some of the, the small group leaders that are at the Society of St. Joseph about this, this video. And I was one of the people that came out on uh, the side against the video. I thought, and still to some degree, think the absolute statement in terms of partisan politics isn't exactly correct. But I went even farther than that in my initial stance on the video. And I thought that, you know, you hear the expression, you can vote with your conscience, right? Um, and I took that, I think, the way a lot of lukewarm Catholics or cradle Catholics take it. And that's, you know, vote with, for, you know, for who you think is right. You know, in right, I mean, in a moral sense, not in, in you know, correct, but vote for who you think is, you know, whoever you think is, it's almost an emotional thing. It's not necessarily an objective standard. It's more of a subjective standard. And to be sure, you know, I, I thought abortion was a big issue. And so it wasn't, you could just eschew abortion if there's some other, you know, immigration issue or something like that that you think is more important. It would, it would take a, a quite a few issues, I think, to outweigh someone's stance on abortion. But I, nonetheless, I was putting it on the same plane as some of these other issues. I was saying, you know, a candidate who supports, say, a good immigration policy that supports, you know, a, creating a just society, it supports human dignity, coupled with maybe a good healthcare policy and a good family leave policy. I thought those things are in line with Catholic teaching. And therefore, even if that candidate's pro-choice, I'm like, yeah, you could, you can maybe vote for that candidate. Um, I, I had some other issues that I considered, you know, what if, abortion in America is, is right now, at least it's a Supreme court issue for the most part, you know, you got to overturn Roe v. Wade before that law can change. 
And so I viewed it as kind of outside of the political process. Hmm. And so given that, could I vote for someone who's pro-choice? Because it's not really up to the legislature. It's not up to Congress so much as it's up to the Supreme Court. And we recently found that Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed to the Supreme Court. And so even, even more so now, it's, it's less of an issue for the president and the legislature. And so I thought, okay, now it's even more removed from the political process. So can I vote for someone who's pro-choice? And then I took it even further. Like, what if I vote for a, a sheriff or a treasurer or a, you know, a county commissioner or something, someone who doesn't even do anything with abortion policy? Can I vote for that person if they're pro-choice? And when I was discussing with some of our the guys in SSJ and I was I was reading the Catholic teaching on the issue, the answer was still no, that you you couldn't as a Catholic vote for those candidates who are pro-choice. And for me, I, I didn't get why the issue was so black and white. I didn't get why Catholics took it so seriously. And that's coming from someone who had been a Catholic my entire life. I didn't get why I was supposed to, you know, believe this. And what brought me around to 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 not just accepting and understanding the church teaching, but really embracing it, um, I think was understanding how grave abortion really is, understanding the gravity of it for one, and then two, understanding what's meant when you, when you hear the term culture of death, what that really is and what, that, what the impact of that is on our society. Mm. Before you go there, I want to jump in here and ask, what, what made you lean in further um, to this uh, at that stage, right? Because you had a choice right there that many of us have. And that is, I don't like what I'm hearing. Uh, it's uncomfortable. Who does the church think they are to tell me how I should think and specifically how I should vote? That's not their place. Um, so th there's, there's a conflict there, right? There's an internal conflict. And many people, I would think, in that situation would back away and just ignore it and say, I'm still going to vote however I'm going to vote. I don't get it. I don't need to get it. I'm not persuaded. What made you decide to lean into that discomfort and dig deeper and, and search for why the church is saying such a black and white statement? Sure. Yeah, I think for one, um, I, I've gotten more intellectually curious over the years. Trying, you know, like like I said in the beginning, I've, I've been raised Catholic, but never really took it that seriously until recently. And and in taking it seriously, it's it's amazing. What I love about the Catholic Church is it's it's such a long history, and there's so much to uncover and unpack in terms of the writings of the saints and all the great encyclicals and all the, the great tradition and the writings that come out of the, the Vatican councils and other, you know, councils of the church and everything. And there's just an unbelievable amount of, of information to learn that I, when I hear something that challenges me, I, I've come to the point where I kind of give the church the benefit of the doubt that I, I assume, you know, this has gone through 2000 years of scrutiny. Someone who disagree, you know, if I disagree with the church, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they're probably, you know, not necessarily probably right about it, but, but I'll, I'm going to look into it and see why, why I might disagree on this point. Maybe I misunderstood something. Maybe I missed something. So. Mm, I think that's a coming from a place of humility um, to realize that uh, chances are you're not going to be the first person 
to point out uh, some kind of mistake, right? In 2000 years in the church. Exactly. And if there was a glaring mistake, it would have been pointed out prior to you. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's a place of humility. And to think otherwise is a place of clear pride. And I know many people that live in that place. And they're like, I know better than 2000 years of theologians, historians, um, apostles. I know better because of my really small worldview and life experience. Now, they don't say it that way, but they sure live that way. Yep. And I think I I had a bit of that pride at first when I when I saw the video and I was like, oh, this is ridiculous. You know, and I I typed up a long email to the group like, here's why this is all wrong and was quickly humbled by, like I said, men much smarter than me. They're citing the catechism. They're citing church teaching. They're citing encyclicals saying, no, 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 it's actually, you know, this is what the church teaches. Here's why it's right. You you might disagree with the kind of incendiary nature of, of the title of the video, but a lot of what's in, what, what was in the video was was right on par with church teaching. And so, you know, you, you, it's like you said, it's humility and you get quickly humbled when you take a, a prideful position and then realize, eh, maybe I didn't think through this quite enough. Yeah, I think you just summed up half my life. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's continue with this. Um, what may be some specific examples that you considered uh, that made the moral absolute that the church was standing upon uh, even more difficult for you to accept? Well, it's like I said, I mean, I was considering an example where I wanted to take it as out of the political process as possible. That is the issue of abortion. And so I considered a sheriff, right? A sheriff who doesn't have, they don't do anything with abortion policy, right? Why couldn't I vote for that person? Or why couldn't I vote for a congressperson when, when abortion wasn't an issue anymore because it was an issue for the Supreme Court? And I had to understand the gravity of abortion. What I wasn't getting was I wouldn't support a sheriff even if that sheriff supported genocide, right? I mean, even if the sheriff wasn't himself or herself actively committing genocide, even if it was just sort of a, a belief that they had that, that genocide was okay or that they would promote that in the abstract, but not actually affect their policy. I think everyone would agree you can't elect that person just because there's something morally wrong. There's some issue with their conscience that would make that person unelectable. And the disconnect that I had, I think was, I could, I think was a result of my inability to grasp, truly grasp my heart, what abortion is, because in an intellectual level, I understood it, right? I understood the church teaching that, that life begins at conception. I accepted that, uh, that you have an inviolable human life, a valuable human life at conception. And therefore, that means I must have accepted at an intellectual level, at least, that abortion is the ending of that human life. And therefore, I must have accepted that abortion means you're killing nearly 2 million people a year in in this country. I'm sorry, about 2,000 a day, about a million a year, give or take. Um, And so if you accept that, I mean, that's, it's not really hyperbole to say that that's akin to genocide. If you're a Catholic and you accept, or even a Christian, you know, who accepts that that life begins at conception and abortion is the ending of that life. I mean, it, it really is akin to genocide. And so even though I accepted it at an intellectual level, it's like I didn't really grasp it until I, until I really contemplated it, prayed about it, read uh, some, some church teaching, read a, a bit of Pope John Paul II's Evangelium Vitae, where he discusses you know, in, in detail how abortion 
how these types of issues, he calls it a darkening of the conscience um, of society really makes us unable to tell the difference between right and wrong and good and evil. It wasn't until I grasped that, that I was able to see, yeah, abortion really isn't, you know, negotiable. It's, it's not something, I'll put it this way. It's, it's categorically different from other issues in that, you know, the immigration issue, for example, most issues that Republicans or Democrats support are to some degree consistent with church teaching. I mean, it may, might be hard to make an argument about the separation of kids at the border, let's say. Let's leave that one out of it. But other types of immigration issues, like you're either going to be tough on immigration by building a border wall or not, right? That's a policy question that may or, that, that could be consistent with church teaching. Uh, on the other hand, ab abortion, in no context would it be acceptable. And that's where it's a categorical difference that I didn't grasp at first. And it wasn't until I accepted the gravity of it. That is how that is that it's truly killing a human person. And that it's at such a mass scale that it really is incomparable with any other issue. And I think grasping that is what was what brought me around in those few examples that seemed, you know, admittedly, they were extreme examples, like we're not talking about voting for a sheriff, we're talking about who, who you're gonna vote for for president, right. But and but they were just I was trying to test the rule. And I think what brought me around on it was understanding that gravity. Mm. So what I'm hearing you say is that regardless of where a political candidate stands, which party, uh, regardless of what they stand for specifically, they could stand for a whole lot of good, um, such as, you know, maybe climate change is like that big hot button for you or, uh, you know, maybe it's immigration or for others, it's something else. That's their number one issue. Right. And right. that their candidate, their party candidate um, stands for the very thing that they find as their number one, highly important issue in this election. But what you're also saying is regardless of all of that, if they also stand for something that is intrinsically evil, like ending the life of a human person, regardless of the reason why. It's murder. It's intrinsically evil. It goes against everything that we stand for as Christians, as believers, that we cannot, for that reason alone, vote for them with a good, clear, and informed conscience. Is that what I'm hearing you say? That's exactly right. And I guess the only caveat would be that there are circumstances if the candidate were to, if, if the opponent to that candidate were to support something else that's so grave that, that they're kind of on par with abortion, that would be categorically the same thing. Mm. And you don't see that really in the United States. You know, I mean, euthanasia is another issue that, that comes to mind, um, but you don't see, and in other countries you may, right, that a candidate legitimately supports, you know, wiping out an entire population of people. That would be on the same plane as abortion. But, but in the United States, it really is the only, the only issue that's on the ballot for voters that's in this separate category is abortion. Mm. Okay. I get that. So for example, based on what you just said, if both candidates in this election or any election were running on a platform of pro-abortion and intrinsic evil that completely is misaligned with what we stand for and believe in as Christians, then how do we vote? 
in that specific area. Say they both are pro-choice, but they have different views on all the other categories. How are we called to vote with an informed conscience in that? Right. First, you'd look to how pro-choice they are. If we assume they're the exact same stance on abortion, identical, okay. then we'd look to weighing their other issues. Um, and and you, one thing I think you would consider too is the party platform for the Democrat party is, is pro-choice. So to vote, if, if, they're, if all else is equal, I think you would have to vote for the Republican just because you, you're, you would be supporting the party platform then that is generally pro-life versus the party platform that's generally pro-choice. Um, but, but if they don't support absolutely identical abortion policies, you, you can vote for the one who would do more to limit abortion mm. or who would, who would make it slightly less access, accessible, though they believe it's, you know, acceptable they might say but but no late-term abortion or they might say but you have a 24-hour waiting period something like that you can so it almost sounds like the lesser of two evils if both are showing up with that intrinsic evil as their platform is that right that's right that's right okay got it so bc nation just to be clear the democratic party in this campaign has pushed the envelope they have made it very clear that if you want to be Democrat, you must be pro-abortion. To me, that's kind of a big change. That's a, that's a big shift. That's saying, if you want to be part of this party, you got to be all in on this issue. All in on pro-abortion. And if you're not, you're not one of us. Like that's a very exclusive type of statement, very divisive type of statement. So that changes everything, I believe, in this political campaign from our last one or previous ones. Now, what shows up for you in that, Nick? Like, what am I missing? What do you want to add to? Well, it's an interesting point. And that's that's something that I struggled with, too, when watching this video, because, look, there are Democrats who are pro-life. They exist. Few and far between, admittedly, um, but they are there. And now you're you have to get into a question of you know you you think of scandal, the sin of scandal, right? Or am I doing something that's likely to lead someone else into sin? And if you vote for a Democrat, even if the Democrat might be pro-life, you're still you're nonetheless supporting the party platform that is pro-choice, and you could therefore be participating in what Pope John Paul II and others have called the culture of death. You could be participating in scandal by, you know, encouraging others or creating some, you know, a society where abortion is acceptable. Now, if that candidate is outspokenly pro-life, though they're just a Democrat for whatever reason, but they're outspokenly pro-life and they, they oppose their party on that issue. Sure. I think in that scenario, you could vote for that candidate, even though their party platform is, is pro-choice. It just, it, it, it's like you said, the platform is so clear nowadays that it, it does make it more difficult. It, it, while I don't, I'm uncomfortable with the absolute in terms of party politics that you must vote Republican. Um, it, it is, you know, for all practical purposes, for all intents and purposes, almost always, it's going to be a Republican who is pro-life and a Democrat who's not. And, and, and there are examples of Republicans who are pro-choice, sure, but sure. like I said, they're few and far between. So it, it really does 
unlike in previous elections, I think it really does make it more black and white that, you know, the Democrats going to be pro-choice, the Republican is going to be pro-life. And as a Christian, you, you would then have to vote for the Republican, even if there are so many other good things that the Democrat Party might support. You know, it's, it's tough, but that's just it's because it's a categorically different issue. Got it. So again, what I'm hearing you say is you got to vote on the big categories first, then you can get to the little. You can't right. start with the little ones and they can't out ever outweigh these big intrinsically evil type of categories. So anything right. that is uh, intentionally um, participating in the act of ending a human life um, at any stage, uh, we cannot participate in. That is a big categoric evil. Right. Right. And what's interesting about it, too, it's it's a it's a categorical evil on two levels. I mean, one, there's the personal level. The individual act of an abortion is obviously a gravely evil act. And that, and, and the sinfulness of it, I, I suppose, would vary to, with the degree of, you know, how much how how culpable that person is. How much do they know what they're really doing? Sure. Right. So it's hard to judge. You, you, we can't obviously judge an individual's soul on that issue. But from a societal perspective. If, if you're Christian and you believe that abortion is wrong, then, then endorsing an abortion candidate is to endorse a society that would say abortion is, is right. It's a signal that it's morally right. And that's creating that, that culture of death where, you know, we're putting individuals ahead. We're supporting, you know, hyper individualism as sort of the end, right? Rather than a means to an end. The, the end becomes, you know, individualism. That's, that's the greatest God. You know, and we know from the, the first commandment, we know from what Jesus told, told, tells us in the gospel about what's the most important commandment that you, you know, love God above all things. And so it's, it's contrary to that when we constantly put ourselves first. And I don't know if it's a chicken or an egg thing with abortion, you know, is abortion the reason our society is so individualist or is it vice versa? Is it an abortion sort of an outgrowth of our hyper individualism? Um, and I think they go hand in hand. I think they're interconnected. One may cause the other and vice versa. Um, but nonetheless, to support abortion is to support that hyper individualist society that that says we're not our brother's keepers, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that that's that's itself sort of a separate evil from this specific evil of the act itself. It's a separate evil where we create a society where we don't we don't respect human life, we don't respect each other. We're you know it creates selfishness in society, and it's it's a society that you don't want to support as an informed Catholic or yeah. informed Christian. Yes. So let's let's uh, speak to something that could be causing some confusion uh, in the Christian church, uh, specifically in the Catholic church. And that is one of the candidates claims to be a practicing Catholic, yet uh, has an entire campaign that is pro-abortion um, and looking to uh, enforce that across the land, so to speak, right? Um, what is your view on that? And would you be willing to clear that up uh, for anyone listening right now that may be confused? Well, you know, this candidate is pro-Catholic. He's Catholic, so, but he's also pro-choice. So I'm Catholic. Why can't I just vote for the Catholic? Right, right. Look, I mean, you can call yourself whatever you want. And I'm, I'm not going to say that Joe Biden isn't a true Catholic or whatever, but saying you're, you're a Catholic doesn't automatically say that I can win the Catholic vote. I mean, I could say I'm a Catholic and then also support a, a platform of genocide, right? So it doesn't mean anything to say you're Catholic. It's more important are, are the policies in line with Catholic teaching. And on abortion, they, they simply aren't. 
And so that kind of ends the conversation. I could see how it's confusing and I can see how it's confusing, particularly when even church hierarchy and church leadership oftentimes isn't, isn't very outspoken on it. Yeah. And there could be various reasons, some legitimate, some, some maybe not so much. Um, I mean, for one, Father Altman was reprimanded for his video. Mm-hmm. Um, Censored. Right, right. By, by the bishops, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to criticize the church hierarchy, criticize the bishops, but I, I'm just saying it's, it, it's understandable why people could be confused when, when church leadership doesn't come out and say, or even, even ostensibly seems to disagree with these kinds of statements. I can see how that can be confusing. For, for sure. It was for me, obviously, not even a few months ago, it was confusing for me. Yeah. So. You know, I think Jesus offers us a very simple solution to clear out all that noise and confusion. And he says, by their fruit, you will know they are mine, right? You'll know them by their fruit. And we look at someone like uh, the Democratic candidate right now um, who claims to be one of God's, right? Claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, yet his fruit, what he stands for, is in complete contradiction with what he says and what he claims and what he believes. Jesus would answer that very clearly. Look at the fruit and you'll know the man. Look at the fruit and you'll know the heart. You can't see the heart. Only God can, but we can see the fruit. And if the fruit is in contradiction with the words coming out of the mouth, right? Trust the fruit, not the words. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and I don't even think we need to go so far as to try to figure out what what he really thinks or what, you know, I don't I don't think we need to try to re- read the fruit to try to understand the heart or anything like that. I, it, in, a, in, the, in a matter of politics, all we need to know is what is the platform? Mm-hmm. What, what policies are going to come out of voting for a pro-choice candidate? Well, the policies are going to be pro-choice policies, they're going to be pro-abortion policies. And so it Speak doesn't- Speak to us about that. What happens if I- my listener, uh, show up on election day and cast our vote as practicing Christians and cast our vote for the Democratic candidate. And the Democratic candidate wins. We played in that. We participated in that. What does America's future look like if this party wins and we help them get there? Yeah. I mean, it just becomes more what I what I've been seeing more and more with secularism. It, it becomes more fo- focused on the individual, less on the family, mm-hmm. more for- focused on career, education and education, not in a good way. Education is obviously a wonderful thing, but it's focused on, you know, how much more can I advance my own uh, agenda at the expense of everyone else? Um and what we're going to end up seeing, I think, is you see it when I, I, you saw it in the, in the Judge Barrett confirmation hearings, when they're asking her questions about her, quote, they call them private beliefs, right? You don't want your private beliefs impacting yourself as, a, you know, your, your decisions as a judge. And it's true. You can't, you can't circumvent the law mm-hmm. as a judge to, to get your policies across. But what, you, what was so apparent, by the way, that these questions were being asked was that religion it really has no place in society anymore. Religion is nothing more than sort of an individual worldview. It's almost like a self-help kind of 
seven steps to a happy life type thing. Just keep it to yourself, make your life better, but don't impose it on anyone else. It shouldn't have anything. It has no place in society. And that's what I see with, with the, the general pro-choice platform with, with this secular platform that try it with a, with an economic efficiency minded platform where everything is focused on everything else, but family, but other people, right? It's always, it's mm. just always individualism, always focused on, on advancing careers and advancing business at the expense of, of, of the poor, the vulnerable, the just, right? Mm. That's what you see, generally speaking. And I think this is what Pope John Paul II was getting at. And when he talks about the culture of death it is it, it, it's just a general shift of society's consciousness away from justice and human dignity and towards the secular and the individual. Mm. Yeah, I get that. I think as we remove God more and more from society, and this is exactly how it's happening, um, the more we embrace individualism, ourself as God of our own life, we push the creator, our creator of the universe, further and further out of society. Mm-hmm. So our heavenly father allows it because he gave us free will to our own demise. And we're seeing it. We're seeing the evidence of a godless society all around us. It looks like violence. It looks like chaos. It looks like I'm more important than you. Therefore, you lose and I win. And whoever's strongest survives or whoever's loudest gets what they want. So it's a culture where the weak and the innocent have no place any longer. It's a society where anyone who is less than fit in any regard, financially fit, emotionally fit, psychologically fit, physically fit, um, is removed by force. And I get my language seems extreme right now. But if you sit with it for a moment, there's evidence all around of this is what's what's happening. And to think that the wave is just going to shift directions on its own when it has all this momentum behind it. Well, we know exactly what happens with a wave when it builds momentum and size and scale. It becomes what we call a tidal wave or a tsunami. And what happens on the front end of a tsunami? Tsunami, destruction, chaos, the end. We see it. It's just the natural momentum of the order of life, right? So I think it's foolish for us to think that, oh, it's going to be fine. Let's vote in all this, you know, this whole platform of death and individualism and removing and stripping away of religious freedoms. Let's let them in. They're likable. I just like him more than Trump. I just do. do. He just feels better. It's really cool. I saw one video where, you know, he was hugging this kid with Down syndrome and it was so touching. So he, he must be a great guy. So I'm a vote. I'm a vote for him based on that video. This is ignorance. Right. And there's consequences to that ignorance, I think. And we can't just sit here as 
Bible-believing Christians as our religious freedoms are stripped away one by one. Because the party itself, and I'm going off on a rant, as you could see me building up here a little, Nick. Thank you for being gracious and allowing it. We, we see like what's happening. We see that the party that, you know, this Democratic Party is in one side of their lip saying, hey, Christians, keep your religious practices to yourself. We don't want to hear it in the public forum at all. It's all about don't put your stuff on me. That's your truth. I have my own. Hmm. But then out of the other side of their mouth, they're imposing laws that then strip away our freedom as an individual to practice our faith and imposing laws that force us as individuals to go against our beliefs with our taxpayer dollars. For example, abortion funded by our taxpayer dollars. Well, if that's an intrinsic evil to me as a Christian, and you're enforcing law, you're putting laws in place that force me to now contribute to something I believe is death, right? And genocide. Where's my individualism in that conversation? There's a contradiction here, right? What do you want to say to that, Nick? Well, I agree completely. I mean, that's the contradiction that you see with generally speaking in sort of a culturally relativist kind of viewpoint, right? Where it's a, it's a circular worldview. It defeats itself because you're saying that, you know, no one, you can't impose your worldview on me. Your worldview is not necessarily right. And mine's not necessarily right. But then, like you said, out of the other side of your mouth, let's, let's now impose my worldview on you. Right. And part of the issue is when we act like there, you know, we should take natural law, for example, out of it, right? There's no, there's no objective moral truth. There's no, there's no singular source of good or something like that, right? There's, it's, it's, it's a universe of truths or any, whatever anyone really believes. We have no chance of any kind of justice. We have no chance of human dignity. And that's because it's not true justice. And that, that is, it's not true objective justice that's going to look out for the interests of everyone, including the poor and vulnerable, whether you're strong or weak. Justice in a sort of ephemeral sense, in a sort of an objective sense, is looking out for everybody. But when you take that objectivity away from it and you say, don't impose your, you know, your, your truth on me, we're saying that, well, well who, whose rules do we go by then? And it's whoever's, whoever's in power. Whoever's in power, exactly. The politically powerful, whoever it might be. And, and what truths do we impose? Well, it's whatever the tastes and preferences are of a given time. And that's right now we see hyper-individualism is, is the taste and preference of our modern time in the United States. And so that's how our society is going to be structured around that, that fundamental end. That's the greatest end. And that might change in the future. Who knows? But but it puts the poor and vulnerable, it puts the weak at the whims of those with, with power and at the whims of whatever the tastes and preference are of whoever those people are. And, and that's not justice, right? That's not human dignity. That's a dictatorship. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So BC Nation, um, you know, Nick uh, D'Amico we're speaking with, uh, he's an attorney here in Tampa. Um, and we're speaking about you cannot be Christian. You cannot be Catholic and be a Democrat. 
Not right now, not in this political climate. You can't. The Democratic Party has asked you to choose a side. Actually, they demanded you choose a side. And that is, if you want to be part of them, you want to be part of their club, you must be against uh, pro-life. You must be for um, killing babies at any stage in the womb. You must. Otherwise, you can't play their game. You can't. So there is consequences to you voting in that direction. That's hopefully what we brought across in this conversation. There's consequences. There's consequences to you removing God out of our society, out of our country, out of our homes. There are consequences to that. Because when we remove God, who is love, we remove love. And when there is no love, there is chaos. There's no light anymore. There's darkness. So we're definitely in the times of the children of light are fighting the children of darkness. We are definitely in those times. It's clear. It's evidence all around us. You could disagree with it if you want, but you're disagreeing with reality. So good luck with that, right? So vote according to an informed conscience. That's what the church calls us to do. We're not telling you how to vote. We're just presenting information for your conscience and we're presenting the consequences of voting one direction or the other. Choose wisely. We have a few more days. This country will move in that direction. We will either continue with the tidal wave moving towards a tsunami in our lives. And if your life is tough right now, suspect it will get worse if you vote Democrat this year. It just will. You can look at almost every Democratic-run state or state with a Democratic governor and just look at the streets, look at the communities, and ask yourself, did it get better or worse in the past five years? Look at the fruit. Don't listen to the words. Don't be tricked by the lies. The enemy is wise as a serpent. He knows what to say. Look at the fruit. Nick, uh, what do you want to say to um, BC Nation right now who uh, has not voted, right? They're headed there on election day. You are headed there. I'm headed there with my wife on election day. We're old school, like you said. Uh, mm. What do you want to uh, impart to them as a, just a finishing thought or invitation? Well, look, if you're on the fence about this, um, I would invite everyone to read what the church has said about this. Um, I, you know, we talked about the bishops earlier. We talked about church leadership and how they may not always give clear answers. But I think the U.S. Council of Catholic Bishops has put out a great election guide. And it doesn't say what party to vote for, but it gives you a really good way of forming that informed conscience that we talked about. And, you know, don't don't take my word. Right. You know, I'm just a guy. You know, I, I like like the way I came to these conclusions was looking to church history and teaching and and, and reading some of these great writings. And I think that's how I think, you know, anyone could, you know, if they want to form their conscience, I think that's a great way to do it. Uh, and of course, we only do, we do only have a few days here. So I don't, you know, ask you to read a whole encyclical or anything like that, but, but I think there's a lot of good information out there. So I would say, take it seriously, do your research. Um, if you're on the fence, try to figure out why, ask yourself that honestly, and, and you know, and, and then vote because it matters. Awesome. I would also just add to that, take it to God. Sit with your heavenly father. Father, God, 
Which way do you want me to vote? Not my will be done, your will. I want to vote this way. What do you say? I'm going to vote with whatever you tell me, right? Like, are you willing to have that conversation with God? Or are you going to play God? It's what it comes down to. All right. So Nick, welcome to my favorite part of the show. Welcome to the confession round. As a Mm -hmm. Catholic, you'd love that. I'm going to ask you 10 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink it. It's just for fun. Are you ready, sir? Absolutely. Let's go. What's your favorite thing about God? Eternity. Ah, it's a cool gift. What's your least favorite thing about God? Omniscience. (laughs) He's all powerful over your life. Or all knowing, yeah. All knowing too. And he doesn't share all the details. Right, right. Right. What are you most afraid of? Mm. What other people think of me. Got it. And in that, uh, what secret fear do you have about other people? Um, well, kind of the same vein. You know, it's just that. If they think I'm either not adequate, not good enough, not competent, whatever it might be, you know, that... Haven't been able to shake that, you know, and it's something I'm working on, but that's a tough one. Got it. What do you think will shake it for you? So sidebar question. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I think it would be. Sounds like you've been working on it for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it would be confidence. And and that comes from humility. I think ironically, not rather than pride, you know, you, you build confidence when you kind of let go of yourself. I think C.S. Lewis put it, C.S. Lewis put it really well. I think it was in mere Christianity where he said, he talks about humility being not, it's not saying that you're bad at something. It's just saying that I, it doesn't matter if I accomplish something or if someone else does that good thing just happened. That's all that matters. And if I did something bad or if someone else said it doesn't matter, that thing just happened. It's, it's just making you completely removing yourself altogether. And I think I haven't gotten to that point of humility. And I think that's why I, I care about what people might think. Got it. That was a pretty cool breakdown of that. What did you spend too much time doing in your twenties? Ooh, either I'll say generally consuming, whether it be drinking too much, watching too much Netflix, sleeping in too much, whatever it is, just kind of indulging. Yeah. Got it. Uh, I believe we're all struggling with something at any given moment of our lives. Uh, just part of the human condition. What are you struggling with either professionally or personally with right now? Uh, it would be that, that humility to, to bring myself to a point where I, you know, become confident in myself where I don't, I don't seek approval from other people. That's definitely the biggest struggle right now. Got it. What do you wish you had learned sooner about God? Ooh. Well, I mentioned it earlier that I, that I, um, the coolest thing or the greatest thing about God is eternity. And I think what goes hand in hand with that is, um, God doesn't change, right? Something that's eternal, something that's outside of time, time the, the nature of time is change, right? So outside of that is something that doesn't change. It's unchanging, uh, absolute. And I think I never really grasped that. I thought of God as, you know, the guy in the sky with a beard or something. And when you, when you grasp this sort of, it's, it's on one hand, ingraspable, right? But just understanding the majesty of it's very, it's amazing. And it's something that I, I enjoy reading about, uh, learning about. Padre Pio talks about praying to uh, for things that have already happened because God's listening even back when before the thing happened, right? Yeah, you know, it's kind of a mind blowing sort of concept. But in the secular world, that's called the law of attraction, right? But they just <laughs> take credit for it. 
for God. Right, right. It's hilarious to me. You know, it's really cool what you just said there. It's like God is unchangeable, uh, right? Because he's outside of space and time. So therefore, BC Nation, his promises revealed in the Bible are also unchangeable. They are the word of God, unchangeable. So even right. as your life changes around you, God's promises you can rely on, you can lean on. They're steadfast. That's that's critical. What's a new habit you want to form, Nick? Uh, getting up when I say I'm going to get up out of bed. Got it. Darn okay. snooze button. Oh, waste so much time in the morning and then it's never worth it. <laughs> I think snooze button is the enemy. Yeah. Um, uh, what's a bad habit you want to break? Same deal, the snooze button, but but I'll I'll say a different one then. Um, watching TV when I should read. I have a lot of a huge book list right now, and I just put it aside and watch Netflix. So, it's on Netflix. Yeah. Pick three uh, three words to describe who you are now. Um, how about this? Work in progress. I guess that's three words, or I can I can <laughs> I can hyphenate them and then add two more. But yeah, got it. Uh, pick three words to describe who you were before uh, you really started digging in uh, to deeper relationship with God and his church. Um, apathetic, curious, and to some degree, kind of, I guess, satisfied, you know, in a sense that I, I, you didn't know what you don't know until I started kind of having my eyes open. So I was like, I, I, you know, figured I was comfortable just watching sports or whatever and eating chicken wings, you know, kind of living that sort of lifestyle until you realize what you're missing out on. And then you kind of, and then you just can't stop diving into it. So that's awesome. And last question, if you could come back to life after you died, look your family and friends, your wife, your new baby in the eye and give them only one piece of advice about everything. What would you say to them? Hmm, wow. Well, where I am at this point in my life, I would say stay incredibly inquisitive. Never, never assume you're correct. And I think, you know, keeping sort of inquisitiveness and curiosity has led me to, to discover things. And then even there, when I thought I found a conclusion, I learned something else that, that, proved what I thought I knew to be right, wrong. And I think that's how you, you develop and grow. And, you know, and it's like what we discussed earlier. I think that, that to get there, it comes from a place of humility, recognizing you're not always right. So <laughs> kind of the ethos of the gospel, it would seem is that humility. So I think that's probably. Yeah, probably for it. sure. Any final wisdom? What's the one thing you want my listener to know about uh, really pursuing deeper relationship with God and really understanding um, the church's uh, stance, their faith, their beliefs, and really informing their conscience versus not. Yep. I think it's like what I just said. It would be that you have to stay curious and humble, you know, recognize that for me, it was coming to, you know, recognizing that there's 2000 years of history here and these are eternal truths. They don't change with the times. Um, and so if I disagree you know, there's probably a good reason for what the church teaching is. And so I would, I would implore everyone to just, if you disagree with what you hear, investigate it at the very least, give it the benefit of the doubt and, and see what you find. 
Very cool. And what's the best way for BC Nation to get in touch with you if they so choose, if they want to just do a shout out or learn more about you? What do you got? Sure, sure. Um, you could shoot me an email at Nick, N-I-C-K-A, uh, D'Amico, D-A-M as in Mary, I-C-O, at gmail.com. Happy to, uh, happy to discuss everything we talked about or anything else. So I, I wouldn't call myself a font of wisdom or anything like that, but always enjoy these kind of intellectual talks. So. All right, BC Nation, remember, you cannot be Christian. You cannot be Catholic, uh, Catholic and be a Democrat. You just can't. You can't, not in good conscience. So man up, woman up, go vote well, vote according to your conscience, not according to what your eyes see or what your ears hear. All right, Nick, thanks for being on Broken Catholic. I wish you God's love, peace, and joy in your life, my friend. Thanks. Same to you, Joseph. Pleasure being on. BC Nation, you cannot show up authentically in your life without building faith in your business. If you want the business side of that conversation, I have another podcast called First 100K, where I interview successful entrepreneurs about how they made their first $100,000, because that's where I believe 90% of you are stuck and you can't break through. Go to first100k.com to find out how. I'm Joseph Warren. You were made for greatness. So stop being a wuss and start being a winner. Have a blessed day and I'll see you right back here next week.